Hello and welcome to COS Live. You can watch the original video broadcast live on Tuesdays at 6 p.m. Eastern. Visit conventionofstates.com slash pod to learn more. And now, here's COS Live. Well, hello again, COS supporters. Welcome back to another edition of Facebook Live. My name is Andrew Lush. I'll be your host. And of course, I'm joined by my co-host, Rita Peters, who is also the Senior Vice President for Legislative Affairs. Rita, great to be back with you. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. Super motivated and energized and ready to do another program with you, Andrew. Right. Uh, it's 2023. We've hit the ground running. Legislative session has opened up. Several states across the nation are now uh, having uh, legislatures open up. And now we get to go spread the word about Article 5 and Convention of States we're going to be talking with our general counsel, Robert Kelly, in a little bit about how Convention of States and all of our grassroots volunteers and supporters are prepared for the storm that is going to be coming against Convention of States in the future. Because as you know, Rita, the swamp is going to come after us because we're trying to take away their power. We also have a new edition of COS Now. We're going to keep you up to date with everything Convention of States. But before we get to all of that, we do have our Article 5 Trivia Giveaway with COS Vice President Mike Ruthenberg. Mike, over to you. Thank you, Andrew. Thank you, Rita. Wow, it's great to be here. Our new year is rolling. The legislative session is rolling. And I'm happy to be here to hear some of what Rob Kelly, our general counsel, has to say. I'm sure you'll be just absolutely enchanted by the strength and power that he brings to us, not just to fight, but to protect us from being shut down or canceled by the federal government. Anyway, let's move on to our trivia question for the day. It's a great question. You're going to have to put on your thinking cap. And if you do, and if you win, you're going to get one of these cool COS sweatshirts. You can, of course, shop in shopconventionofstates.com and get one yourself. If for some reason you're not the winner, we have this sweatshirt, which I love, the pullover sweatshirt, especially in the winter when it's a little bit chilly. I can wear it indoors, outdoors. It's great. Or you can get the, the zip one. If you prefer a zip, then go ahead to shopconventionofstates.com and grab yourself a sweatshirt. Now let's go on to COS Trivia. Many of you know Professor Robert G. Nadelson is the preeminent scholar on Article 5 of the Constitution. He's written numerous academic articles on the subject, done prolific, wide-ranging investigations into the subject, and even written a book called The Law of Article 5, summarizing his research. Last month, he released a new article detailing what this process has been called over the years. This is important. Article 5 calls it a convention for proposing amendments. But we, as you know, call it Convention of States. We've talked before about how Virginia was the first state ever to issue a call for an Article 5 convention, calling it a convention of the states. Which state, here's our question, which state filed the second Article 5 application for a convention of the states. Which state filed the second Article 5 application for a convention of the states? If you need a hint, this is before the Bill of Rights was ratified. So I'll be back a little bit later in the show. Hopefully you'll have the answer. You'll type it into our chat box and we'll be able to all learn 
as we move forward. We'll see you guys later. Rita, before we go to our interview, before we have Robert come join us, uh, we have another edition of COS Now. We're going to watch history being made. Uh, we want to keep our viewers uh, up to date with everything Convention of States. So uh, in this week's edition of COS, Live, or COS Now, we're going to be seeing some great stuff that our producer G put together. As the new year kicked off, it didn't take long for the establishment media to release hit pieces against Convention of States. Last week's stories appeared in Business Insider, Yahoo News, and The New Republic painting the movement as some nefarious plot. Of course, without mentioning that two-thirds of voters want a Convention of States and that it's a legal way to check the power of the federal government. The New Republic piece in particular featured their reporter's first-hand account of participating in a constitutional defense course hosted by our friends at Patriot Academy, wherein participants did wild things like learning about the Constitution and how to safely handle a firearm in order to defend themselves and their families when faced with a violent threat. Truly spooky stuff. Clearly, this is proof that Convention States is really all about violent insurrection and installing a theocracy. You know, the usual scare tactics employed by the DC establishment against liberty-loving Americans. On the other hand, Just the News spoke up for Convention States as a constitutional process that would serve as a serious wake-up call for out-of-touch DC elites. Do you think it's a realistic way to address the current situation we find ourselves in? Absolutely familiar. We've had Mark Meckler on this show several times. He comes on yeah. the podcast at Just the News. Um, he has created a five million strong army of American citizens who are out there at the grassroots level going state by state. I think they're at 18 or 19 states right now. They're on course to get to 22, 23. I love it so much because you are right. It evokes our founding father's wisdom. And yes, we are up to uh, 19 states. I think there are a half a dozen or so other states that it has passed in one state house and not the other, and then another dozen or so um, that have that have ongoing uh, legislation regarding this. But John, I'm with you. I would love to see something like this. I would love to see a repudiation of the federal government, of the size of it, of the power of it, of the corruption of it, of the financing of it. Every single aspect of our federal government. Additionally, Mark Levin spent multiple segments during his nationally syndicated radio program to emphasize that only convention of states can truly fix Congress. I'm glad we have our rule changes and we'll be able to do this, that, and the other. That's great. But fundamentally, they run the culture, they run the bureaucracy, and they run the game. And if we're going to stop them, then maybe we need to think more fundamentally because Washington is not going to fix Washington. There, I said it. This week, more states are starting legislative sessions, and many will soon begin considering our Article 5 application for a convention of states. States starting session this week include Iowa, North Carolina, Wyoming, Idaho, Kansas, South Dakota, Michigan, Virginia, Colorado, Illinois, Washington, Oregon, New Jersey, Maryland, and Delaware. This is go time for our movement, so right now is the time to contact your state legislator and ask them to vote yes for COS. And now, you're up to date with Convention of States. Thank you so much, Producer G, always doing amazing work in the background, making, making sure everything is working and getting all of the videos together for us. Rita, I want to get your reaction on what you thought on anything that Producer G put together in that segment. Well, I want to respond to the, you know, the hit pieces from the mainstream media on Convention of States. And, you know, just the bottom line is this. If you're a fan of the status quo, if you're a fan of a huge, 
massively powerful federal government that basically acts like a super legislature for every state in the nation and governs every aspect of our daily lives, then you're not going to like convention of states. You're going to want it to be stopped because what convention of states is, is an actual solution to the problem of federal overreach. It's it's not just voting for the right people. It's going the next step and implementing a solution to an abusive, overly powerful federal government that the founding fathers provided for us right in the Constitution. And in fact, that's the very reason I got involved and committed my career to Convention of States, because I found it to be the only actual meaningful solution to the problems in our country that I've ever found, because it will fix the problem like nothing else I've ever heard of. So yeah, if you like the status quo, you're going to be opposed to Convention of States. And frankly, Andrew, these hit pieces just motivate me more to keep doing what we're doing. And like producer G said in the video, it is go time. So if you've been sitting on the sidelines, now is the time to get involved. And Rita, you know, those people who are opposed to Convention of States, they're on a really tiny island. And they're certainly not with the American people. I looked at some of the numbers that we had when it comes to support and 65% of people support uh, one or all of the planks of our resolution. You have 80% of Republicans wanting to see a convention or wanting to see the federal government reduce. You got 50.2% of Democrats who support the three planks of our resolution. You have 63% of independents. And then even more, if you look at the people who are opposed, 6.7% of Republicans are opposed. That is a small, small minority. You have 25% of Democrats opposed. Again, that's a very small number. And 18% of independents who are opposed to the three planks of our resolution. So the verdict is out. People want to see the federal government reduced. They want to see a convention of states where we could have term limits, a balanced budget, and reduce the jurisdiction of the federal government because power is better locally, just is. That's right. Yeah. And I th think that's why you see the agreement across party lines that this is the thing to do because honest, hardworking people from all parts of the political spectrum understand that, that policy is better when it's made closer to home so that it reflects the people who are being governed by it. It's a common sense thing. And, you know, I am not a bit surprised that the mainstream media doesn't like it. They can go do their thing. We're going to keep doing our thing and we're going to pick up more and more states until we get to convention, until we propose constitutional amendments that will put the federal government back into its constitutional box. Mm. And one last party shot before we go to Robert. It's, uh, we don't need the mainstream media. We have... We have Mark Levin. We have the great one. We have so many other amazing endorsers. We don't need mainstream sycophants who are going to get us to convention. We have the support of the people and we have big names like Mark Levin who are saying accurately, Washington is not going to fix this problem. They're not going to take away their own power. So uh, Rita, I'm excited to bring on Robert. Let's uh, bring him on so we can pick his brain. Joining us today, we have Robert Kelly, who is our general counsel, and he's also the interim CFO for Convention of States Action. Robert, it's a pleasure to have you join us again. I want to jump right into my very first question, uh, because just a little bit ago, 
Rita and I, we were talking about some of the media hit pieces. And it seems that the establishment in Washington is going to be coming after us very soon. In fact, there's over 200, 230 Soros-backed uh, and funded organizations that have kind of coalesced together to come after Convention of States. And supporters of Donald Trump and the Tea Party, they remember what it was like when the swamp came after them. And the swamp is relentless. So is, can, my question to you, just to kind of get us going, uh, with these hit pieces coming out and with the pressure that's going to be on Convention of States in the near future, is, Conven is Convention of States prepared for this type of pressure? And also, what, what kind of steps are we taking to make sure that we stare down the swamp monsters and come, uh, come up successfully against them? Yeah, well, that's a great question, Andrew. And the answer to that is we are absolutely ready for that. Um, we have an entire legal team that's committed and dedicated to defending the patriots who are a part of Convention of States action. And that's a fight that we've had in the past with the IRS on behalf of Tea Party groups that were targeted. If a number of you remember back to the targeting scandal, we get involved in that lawsuit, um, help the Tea Party groups find counsel, help them form a class action lawsuit to represent all of the different groups. Um, so that's something we have a lot of experience with here at COS. That's something we're absolutely going to be doing, and we're absolutely going to be prepared when DC brings the fight to us. But before we get there, of course, we've got to be ready to bring the fight to them, and we've got to be putting all our ducks in a row so that when that fight comes, we're armed and we're ready. That's right. Well, Robert, one area of big growth for Convention of States over the past few years has been our involvement in elections and specifically state legislative races. We scored a record number of victories in this past cycle, but the IRS and the various laws of the 50 states don't always make it easy for us to be involved in elections. So can you speak to why we wanted to get more involved in elections and the difficulty of that process? Why is it so complicated for us? Yeah, well, to answer that first part, Rita, I mean, why we wanted to get involved in elections I mean, you've been with the organization for a while. I have too. When we started out, that was not actually part of the plan for COS. We kind of figured that, hey, if we went to legislators and we explained how the Article 5 process worked, that rational thought would prevail and they would just listen to us and that they would listen. More importantly, that they would listen to their constituents because those are the people they represent. And using Article 5 is, I think, kind of a no-brainer for state legislators. It brings power back to them and away from the federal government which that's how the states were designed to function. So I think we just kind of assumed, you know, hey, that was going to be a no-brainer for a lot of the state legislators. All we had to do was educate them about the process, explain why a runaway convention was a ridiculous scenario that would never happen, and we'd get the votes. And of course, that's, that's not how it happened. Um, instead, what we were met with was a bunch of legislators who didn't care about the rational arguments, who weren't interested in what their constituents had to say, and we learned that we had to get down to brass, brass knuckle politics, excuse me, brass knuckle politics really quickly and actually hold these legislators feet to the fire when it came around to election season. Um, they, know, they needed to know that their constituents are watching, that they are listening, and they're going to vote accordingly. So that's why uh, getting involved in elections has become such a big part of what Convention of States is about. And that's why that's an effort that we're going to be expanding going forward. Mm -hmm. Now to go to the second part of that question, Rita, you know, there's a lot of rules and a lot of laws that govern political activity in the country. 
um, which I think to some degree is, you know, just a sad, sad reality of where we are. Um, our founders thought political speech was the most important speech, you know, maybe next to religious speech, was maybe the most important speech you could engage in in this country, right? Elections and free and fair elections are the foundation of our democracy. And so, you know, it's, it's sad, but it's a reality that elections and getting involved in elections is just an area that's super highly regulated. Um, it's very easy to make mistakes in that area. If you don't have an experienced attorney or somebody who's used to running a campaign, very easy to run afoul of the laws and get yourself and get your organization in trouble. So as we've expanded in this area, we've been very careful to make sure that we're dotting our I's and crossing our T's and giving support to our state teams so they know what the boundary lines are, what they can and can't do in their state so that they don't get themselves and they don't get the organization in trouble with the regulatory agencies that are involved here. Mm -hmm. So Robert, I want to kind of uh, follow what you were just saying, you know, in our case, like you were mentioning, we are a grassroots movement. The, the bulk of our movement is volunteers, not staff. So what are we doing to help equip the grassroots one to, uh, to not run afoul of the, the law, but also how do we keep them prepared uh, as we kind of go into the future and all of the pressure campaigns that are going to be coming against convention of states? How are we preparing our grassroots movement for everything that's going to come at convention of states as we, get closer to 34 states calling for a convention? Sure. So I think one of the big things we're going to do, and we have been doing this, but we're definitely going to expand this effort, is we're going to be doing calls and trainings with the state teams to go over the laws that are specific to their state. You know, one of the, one of the tricky things we face here at Convention of States is that we're a na nationwide organization. We have volunteers in every single legislative district across the country, which is awesome and incredible and something nobody else really has out there. But it's also tricky because we live in a federalist system. And I, I love federalism. That's one of the things we're fighting to restore here in America is to push power back to the people, to push it back on a more local level. But federalism also means that we've got not just one set of laws we have to follow in this country. We've got federal laws. We've got state laws. We've got 50 different state sovereignties who all have their own laws and those laws are very different from jurisdiction to jurisdiction. So we're going to be doing trainings that are specific to each state, specific to the rules in that state to help our teams understand what the boundary lines are, what the rules are for that jurisdiction and to help them make sure that they're prepared for those laws that, um, that, that get tricky and, and that intimidate a lot of people. And, and, you know, that, so being prepared, I think, is a huge part of it. Being trained, knowing what the rules are, it can be really empowering. And I think that's going to help us take this to the next level this next year. So when we talk about all the different state laws, that's federalism in action, right? It just is complicated. There just are a lot of different laws that our volunteers have to understand and you have to understand and navigate. But to the extent we're talking about the federal tax code and all these complex IRS rules and regulations that you as a highly skilled and competent attorney have to struggle to make sense of some of these IRS rules and regulations. You know, I'm reminded that one of the things we could achieve through a convention of states is simplifying the tax code, limiting federal power 
to tax and spend. And, you know, if D.C. is no longer picking winners and losers, if the power of the federal government to tax is smaller, hopefully it won't be weaponized against ordinary citizens anymore. But when there's such a complicated tax code with thousands of laws on the books, it makes it impossible for people to fight these battles unless they do have highly skilled attorneys like yourself. So do you feel like you're working with an organization that is trying to ultimately put you out of a job, Robert? <laughs> yes, I am in that odd position. Um, if convention stays is successful, I'll have a lot less work to do. So that's, uh, but you know what, that's, that's how it should be. Um, you know, we should, we should not have the complex, uh, sets of rules and laws and regulations that we have now. And, uh, you know, we can do a lot to address our overbearing regulatory system by holding a convention of states, by empowering people to make a difference in their communities. And one thing I would encourage everybody to is, you know, don't dismiss, even now, even under our existing system, don't dismiss the importance of local elections. So many of the things that affect you on a day-to-day -day basis are not actually decided by Washington, D.C. They're decided by your city, by your county, and by your state government. So get involved now, even in advance of pulling some of that power back, so that your state government, your county government, your city government knows that you mean business, that you're going to hold their feet to the fire, and that you, you care about the laws that are regulating you and your, your family. Mm. Robert, I want to turn to a question that we sometimes get on social media. It's about how the courts would handle an Article 5 convention. Um, for, for us, for you, uh, Rita and myself, we know that it's not a mystery how the courts would handle it. We know that there's a long history of cases that have been argued. Uh, there was a recent one in Missouri that we won uh, when, it, uh, when it came to Article 5. So is the law on our side, or can you explain why the law is on our side when it comes to the Article Five convention process, sure, yeah, I mean the law's on our side because our founders knew what they were doing. I mean that's that's really what it boils down to. Opponents of a convention want you to think the Constitution is an amazing document, and that somehow the founders also completely messed up when they put Article Five in there. So they're asking you to think two completely opposite things about our Constitution. They're asking you to think, oh, amazing document. Our founders clearly knew what they were doing. And, oh, wait a second, throw that out the door when you're thinking about Article 5. So, you know, when the reason we have and the reason we know what the process would look like for a convention is because our founders knew what the process would be like for a convention. They held conventions all the time. They held 11 conventions in the decade between the Declaration of Independence and the ratification of the Constitution. So this was something that was happening even more frequently than elections for them. And they wrote down, we have the records of those conventions. We have the rules that they followed. Um, and we can use those and we can reconstruct what a convention would look like today based on those rules. This isn't something where we're stepping out into a vacuum where we don't know what's going to happen, where all chaos is going to break loose and, you know, the results could be anything. This is something that's an orderly process. Our founders demonstrated that it could work. They knew how it would work and they left us the legal legacy to make sure it does work in the future. Mm -hmm. 
And, you know, Robert, I think that our grassroots have been pretty effective at spreading the word about that. So people understand an Article 5 convention for proposing amendments isn't scary. It's not crazy. It's a process that our founding fathers knew, and this is why they put it in the Constitution. So to remind our viewers, we're at 19 states right now that have passed our Article 5 application to propose constitutional amendments on just three topics, term limits, fiscal restraints, and limits on the power and jurisdiction of the federal government. And many more states are starting session right now and considering our application. The closer we get to convention, what do you think our viewers and supporters should be aware of from a legal perspective? Are you concerned that the establishment might come after us? What do we need to be watching for? I think that's definitely true. The existing power brokers in Washington, D.C. are not going to be happy about losing that power. Uh, that's, that's one of the fundamental lessons of human nature that has been repeated throughout history is that power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. People go to D.C. with good intentions in their hearts, but the reality is they get sucked into the swamp, they get sucked into the system, and that's part of the reason why we need to decentralize power. Centralized power is never good for the long-term health of a society. It just never is. And that's because we're fallen, frail human beings who, at the end of the day, even though we have good intentions, we don't always live that out faithfully in how we conduct ourselves in our day-to-day -day lives. And so as we continue to expand, as we get closer, we're going to get tougher and tougher opposition. And so we need to be more and more ready. We need to get our ducks in a row we need to be prepared to fight even harder as we get closer because the opposition's not going to relent. They're not going to back down and we're going to need to be prepared for that. Well said. Well, Robert, before we let you go, I want to mention, you know, our most of our regular viewers know that I am also an attorney, but I'm giving people a sneak peek into the organization here by confessing that I like to call myself the fun side of legal because I don't actually do a whole lot of traditional legal work. I deal with our legislative strategy with Convention of States Action, and you and I were both brought to the national team near the inception of the movement. You were here before I was, but I wonder if you can just tell the story about how you joined the organization and then how it was decided who would be responsible for what when it came to legal stuff. <laughs> well, I'll work my way backwards on that one, Rita. Um, you say you have the fun side of legal. I'm not sure that most people would say, uh, you know, getting down and mud wrestling with the politicians is, uh, is the fun side. But, uh, you know, so I was relieved. I'll, I'll say that when you when you opted to take that side of things and, and left me the the, uh, you know, hey, deal with the bureaucrats, deal with the laws side of things. Um, I got involved with Convention of States through Michael Ferris, as I'm sure a number of you did. Um, I've been a longtime supporter of his. Um, he has had an immense impact on this country, both in terms of providing training on the uh, history of our Constitution and the way it ought to operate, as well as being an actual attorney who's argued in front of the Supreme Court and won major cases that have advanced individual liberty, have advanced Christian principles, and have advanced limited government principles. 
Um, so I, as soon as I heard that he was involved in this, that was something I immediately took an interest in. Um, ironically, I was one of the folks who was concerned about a runaway convention coming into this whole thing. And after a conversation with Mike, that completely flipped around. Um, he, he laid out exactly the history behind this process and why a runaway convention isn't a legitimate fear. And that led to me uh, becoming totally bought into what this process looks like and, and realizing we've got to use the tools we have. Uh, so, much of, so much of conservative politics especially has been us banging our heads into the wall repeatedly, sending good people to DC and then wondering why the swamp eats them. Uh, we need to think outside the swamp. We need to think local and convention of states is a great way to do that in a way that organizes nationally, but thinks locally and makes a difference that's going to have a national impact, but fights at the local level. Thank you, Robert, for joining us. It's always a pleasure to have you on Facebook Live. I, we hope to have you back soon. But with that, uh, thank you very much, and God bless you. Thanks so much, Andrew. All right, now we're going to transition over to Mike Ruthenberg, who has the answer for our Article 5 trivia giveaway. Mike, back to you. Thank you, Andrew. Boy, I hope you enjoyed listening to Rob. He's one of the most elegant speakers in our organization. I certainly enjoy speaking with him, conversing with him, or just listening to him when he speaks. All right, let's go back to our answer. And if you recall, the trivia question was, Professor Robert G. Nadelson is the preeminent scholar on Article 5 of the Constitution. He has written numerous academic articles on the subject, done prolific wide-ranging investigations into the subject, and even written a book called The Law of Article 5, summarizing his research. Last month, he released a new article detailing what this process has been called over the years. Article 5 calls it a convention for proposing amendments, but we call it a convention of states. We've talked before about how Virginia was the first state ever to issue a call for an Article 5 convention, calling it Convention of the States. Which state, here's our question, which state filed the second Article 5 application for a Convention of States? And you probably remember our hint was that this was done before the Bill of Rights was ratified. Well, you ready for the answer? Here we go. I hope you're the one that won. The answer, New York. New York was the second state to pass an application for an Article 5 convention. New York legislative records referred to an amendments convention as either a convention of the states or a convention of deputies from the several states. Additionally, a December 11th, 1788 speech by Governor Clinton to the New York General Assembly referred to an amendments convention as a general convention of the states. General meant that all states or all states from all regions would be invited. In New York, Senate proceedings on December 24, 1788, a committee headed by Senator Abraham Yates presented its formal response to the governor's speech. The last report stated, in part, we are sensible that a revision of the, of the system by a convention of the states will be necessary. Nadelson notes that convention of states opponents persist in calling it a constitutional convention. He counters, I have found no 
repeat no cases of anyone in the founding generation using that term to refer to amendments convention. Nor, for that matter, in the 19th century either. The misnomer con constitutional convention to refer to an amendments convention apparently did not arise until the 20th century. Yet again, Professor Nadelson's research debunks the fears of our critics. So hopefully you got something from that, even if you knew the answer. And I certainly hope you're the one who won this really cool COS sweatshirt that I wear all the time. This is among my favorites. If you didn't win, just go to shopconventionestates.com, see what you've got in the store, pick up a sweatshirt. You can get a full zip. You can do a pullover. Of course, it's up to you. But until next week, I'll turn it back over to you, Andrew and Rita, to close it up. Thanks, Mike. We do this show every week to reach, teach, and activate Americans with the constitutional empowerment gifted to we the people. If you're ready to take your place among the Americans who are doing whatever it takes to restore the Republic, sign up for one of the volunteer roles with Convention of States. Go to conventionofstates.com and click the Take Action tab to get started. And don't forget to subscribe to all of our social media accounts. Search Convention of States on Rumble, MeWe, YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, Parlor, Truth Social, and Instagram. You can also listen to this program and other historic legacy content by searching Convention of States wherever you podcast from. Please check out The Battle Cry with COS President and Co-Founder Mark Meckler. It's on every Sunday night at 8 p.m. Eastern Time. We'll see you next Tuesday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time for another edition of COS Live. We have a country to save, so it's time for us to get back to work. Thank you for watching. This has been the podcast version of COS Live. Check out more content at conventionofstates.com slash pod. Thank you for listening.